in the other songs, here in Luke, you would find Zacharias as he would break out into song after having this season where he could not even speak. He would break out into song. Later, Simeon, when he would see the, the young Jesus, he would break out into song. You would just see this idea of just praising the Lord. So tonight, like I said, the one in particular that I want to look at is found here in Luke chapter 1, verse 46 through 55. And this is Mary, okay? She's been to visit, or she is now visiting Elizabeth, her cousin. And when Elizabeth hears the news, basically, that this child is going to be born in Mary's life, that Jesus is going to be born, you remember that the child within Elizabeth, the child being John the Baptist, that he leaps within the womb. There's this excitement, <laughs> there's this anticipation that even this young child in the womb understands as he leaps for the announcement of the Savior that will come. And in response, as, as Elizabeth speaks about the blessedness of Mary and how she will carry on the work of God, Mary responds in this way. Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. For he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever. Notice this song. In this song, you hear Mary express the joy that she has. I mean, you can just hear the joy. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. There's a sense of joy that she has as she responds to God. And she sings for this joy. It's awesome to know that we can experience the joy of God and that we can express joy in our worship. That we can express joy even in our singing. Let me, let me compliment you uh, choir members today. I was looking up there and of course I was listening to you. But it was pleasant to look at you as well today. Why? Because you looked happy. I always love that when you're looking at people who are singing and they actually look like they're happy. Because we have something to be happy about. And our facial expressions, our hearts, our lives, everything that we have about us ought to express a sense of joy in who we are. When we sing, when we worship, we're not coming in to sing the funeral dirges. We're coming in to sing and to celebrate a living Christ. Every day, every Sunday, every moment that we have the opportunity, as we worship Him, we ought to worship Him with a sense of joy. And Mary, she just says, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. Why? Because she had been chosen. She had recognized what God had done. God was active within her life. And God had chosen her. 
Look at the announcement of the angel. If you go back in verse 30, the angel comes to her and says to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. In verse 35, the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also, the, that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. She had been chosen to be the mother of the Messiah. And when she recognized that God was at work in her and that God had chosen her and demonstrated favor upon her life, she responded in joy. You see, I think our worship, our songs, should somehow demonstrate joy, especially as we recognize that God is active in our lives. That God, that God has a plan for us. It, it may not be the same as Mary. We, certainly, we are not the ones who are bearing the Messiah. But would any of us doubt in this place? Would any of us doubt that God is at work in our lives? I hope not. I hope we wouldn't doubt it. Because God has been so... Good to us, and God is at work in who we are. And when we recognize that, that He has chosen it, hey, my friends, He has chosen us as His people to be a spokesman for His Son. If that is the case, if He's worked in such a way in our lives, we ought to be glad about it. We ought to be happy. And notice as you read through this that you see that she was not chosen. Because of her position, she was not chosen because of her special significance. There was nothing in particular that had drawn the attention outside of her humility before God. One of the reasons she understood and expressed such joy is because she recognized what an unlikely candidate she was. To carry the Messiah, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. She was. She was most likely poor from what we see in the offerings that they bring later. That they didn't have a whole lot of means. They they didn't they weren't certainly of the aristocracy of the day. They certainly weren't of the aristocracy. They were limited in their economic means. There was no special significance about her. Somewhat of an unlikely candidate, as I said. Hey, she was a virgin. Think about that a moment. I mean, if God is going to choose a young lady to bear his son, you would think perhaps it would be a young lady who was already married. She was a virgin. And I do believe, I do believe what the scripture teaches as I've studied this, that she was a young lady who had never had any type of, of sexual relationship with a man. Never. And that God, through the Holy Spirit, conceived Jesus within her. I believe that. Now, I remember when I went down to uh, college in Jackson, Mississippi, and I was sitting in a Greek class. Now, I understand it was affiliated with a denomination, but the church, but 
the college itself was not a biblical college, okay? I understand that. I was sitting through a Greek class, and I had my Greek professor there, and, um, you know, she began to lecture us on different things, and, and um, she got to this word for virgin in the New Testament. She said, you know, it could mean young lady, uh, and just simply young lady, it doesn't have to mean virgin, and, um, you know, she wasn't necessarily a virgin. And one of these days, I'm going to get it across to our church leaders that she was not. I was sitting there thinking, what? Now, understand, y'all, you all got me, okay? I was raised in North Mississippi. Did you know that? And you know, we were about 30 years behind everybody else. Still are. Thank God for North Louisiana. Delivered me from that. But I'd never heard this before. I thought all believers believed in the virgin birth of Christ. I thought all of us, at least the virgin conception. That's what we believed. But somehow, somehow I began to confront those who would detract from this message. Friends, that's what it says. And that means she was an unlikely character or a candidate to bear Jesus. I mean, she was... The candidate that God chose. Not necessarily the candidate that those around the community or the religious leaders or others would have chosen. But God chose her. God has a way of choosing those kinds of candidates, doesn't he? When I read the Old Testament, I always, always am struck by how God chooses the least likely candidates to perform his will and his work. I mean, even back to Abraham. Abraham's mentioned here, of course, in this passage, Abraham. I mean, God looked at Abraham and told him to move on and and, uh, go to a land that he was going to show him. How old was Abraham? Seventy-five when that happened. And what did God say? God said, you're going to have a nation. You're going to have people. You're going to have descendants. Well, listen. If you're going to have descendants, you got to at least have one child, right? 75. Sarah was 65. Would you call those unlikely candidates to be parents? Absolutely you would. Some of you are sitting here saying, and thank God, right? Yes. And, and to add to it, 25 more years, 100. Abraham is when his child is born, the promised child, that is. Sarah is 90. Unlikely candidates. In the New Testament, basically we see where God says that he gave life to that which was dead. I mean, you would think that Abraham, I mean, according to the writer of Hebrews, Abraham was as good as dead. When it came to childbearing... Sarah, but God gave life in Sarah's womb. And God used that family and that nation. Think about Rachel, Jacob's wife who was barren. God moved in her life to give her the child Joseph and then Benjamin. Think about Hannah just poured her heart out to God, just cried out to him. The priest 
He thought she was drunk. But she was just pouring her heart out to God as she cried out and just asked him to touch her life, to touch her womb, and to give her a child. And God worked in her to bring forth this prophet Samuel. God's always been in the business of using the most unlikely candidates. Why does he do that stuff? I'm convinced, just as I think Pastor Dave said a week or so ago, God does that so that he will demonstrate his glory. It's not about our strength. It's not about who we are. It's not about our status. God chooses the least likely candidates so that he can show how great and how wonderful he is. And that's what you see here. So do you see why Mary, understanding she is an unlikely candidate to carry forth the Messiah, she comes and she rejoices. Her song is one of joy before God. She worships him because of what he had done. The great things. I mean, that's really what she says here. He has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. I am going to be able to leave a legacy unlike any other individual. And it's not because of how great I was. It was because of how great he was. That is the reason that she had joy. Is that God was about to take the ordinary and do something extraordinary. Well, when you look at this song, you see how she expresses joy. You also see how she expresses humility. Servanthood. You can't miss it as you read through this. Notice verse 48. For he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. In verse uh, 50. His mercy is on those who fear him. Verse 52. He talks, she talks about how. He puts down the mighty from their thrones, exalts the lowly. She understands this. She understands how God has shown favor upon her. And she responds in humility. In humility. She had done this in her response to the angel back in verse 38. The angel had told her that she was going to bear this child. And how did she respond? Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. She said, okay, God, I'm your servant. And here in the song, she's still demonstrating servanthood, humility. God, here I am. You have have dethroned those who have been exalted. And you have exalted the lowly. God, here I am. Wow. When we come before him, I think, and we worship him, we sing. You know, there's a sense of joy, but there should always be a sense of humility, humbleness, servanthood, of recognizing again how great he is, how lowly we are. And that as we come to worship, that we humble ourselves to be obedient whatever he calls us to do. I mean, that's really what the essence of worship should be about. Is just servanthood, humility, obedience. That's what it should be about. She refers to herself as a bond servant. She was obedient. She accepted this. 
she was humble about it. Now, most of us, I mean, if God had spoken to us in such a way, I mean, we probably, we probably would think about everybody we wanted to tell, right? I mean, hey, <clears throat> you know, I, I'm going to be the mama. Some of you ladies, you know, come on. I've seen pride in your when when you talk about your kids. I mean, but to know that's the Messiah, to know that that's the king of kings, I mean, there's the temptation of pride, but you don't see it in Mary's life. Humility. Humility marks her. And obedience. Obedience, no matter what comes. And don't miss this. Because there are consequences that will come in Mary's life. I mean, most of us think, well, yeah, that's a no-brainer. Bond servant to God and do what God says and to bear the child. Don't forget the consequences that may come in Mary's life. Especially if she's thinking through it here. If she's thinking through it here, she knows, she knows what the conversations will be like. In the halls as she passes people. On the streets, she knows, or she should. There will be whispers. There will be gossip. There will be all kinds of ridicule that she will get from the community because of what she's done. Don't believe me? Read the rest of the story. She does. Jesus will. There are times in the scripture that you'll even see those moments where Jesus is somehow confronting the religious leaders, and they'll always, leave, they'll always go back to this. They'll always come back to his origin, to, his, to the person who is his father. Because that's the way they will try to undercut his ministry at times. And Mary, well, she accepts this knowing all that may come. Can you imagine what it must have been like? She went down to First Baptist Church. I shouldn't use that anymore. I always have used that. But maybe she went down to uh, Shalom Baptist Church there in Jerusalem. She, she began showing if she hadn't told him. And people began noticing. And, and maybe, you know, maybe you know, they begin, whoa, Mary is not married. She was you know, engaged to Joseph, but now, and she begins, all the people around, can you imagine, no offense to any of you, but can you imagine some of the conversations that were going on in the back? Not to say you back people are in less righteous than the front people, but, you know, folks can be cruel. Human nature can be, and that didn't just start in the 21st century. But get this, she says, God, I'm your bond servant. I'm your servant. At this point, you may say that her faith certainly is in God and she knows God will sustain her no matter what. But if you look at the penalty for adultery, she could even be stoned. Now she could say, God's going to take care of me. And she certainly had faith. But I'm saying to you, that even in her obedience, she opened herself up to these consequences of the community. I'm just going to say to you, it's easy to be obedient when there are no obvious consequences out there. 
It's another thing to remain faithful when you know that you may face all kinds of things, all kinds of consequences that will negatively impact you. But your obedience, my obedience, is not based upon the circumstances. It is based upon God's call in our lives. And His acknowledgement of who we are. His call for us to come and to follow Him. She responds. She expresses humility. And what I like about this, if you marry the first characteristic that I mentioned and this characteristic... She was joyfully obedient. I love that. Because I see some people today that express obedience, but I'm not sure they're doing it very joyfully. You know what I'm talking about. There are days when we say, well, that's what I'm going to do. I just got to do it. I know God won't. I'm not going to be happy about it, but I'm going to do it. That wasn't Mary. Mary understood all the things that might come her way, but she just thanked God that he had shown his favor, that he had called her to such a grand, great purpose. She was willing to be obedient no matter what the consequences, and she was going to rejoice in it. I love that. It's a challenge to every one of us to be joyfully obedient in who we are. Finally, just this. As you look at this song, I think you see in her song this that she expresses expectation. Expectation. What God's going to do. God's going to do something great here. I mean, she knows that. The angel appears. He says that the Holy Spirit's going to come upon her. There's going to be this conceiving of the, Holy, of the Son, of, of Jesus Christ. And that this is going to be the Messiah. And that God is keeping his promise now. Notice verse 54. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. Just as God said all the way back to Father Abraham. And I would even suggest to you, even farther than that. Just as God had promised that he would send his son. Mary says, I believe he's going to. I believe this is how he's going to do it. And his son is going to come and somehow keep the promises that have been made. And this son will be the long-awaited Messiah. She expected, she expected this child to fulfill the promise of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. To fulfill the promise of God himself to his people. I'm not sure she understood exactly how it was all going to work out. You know that song, I think, Cynthia, you mentioned, Mary, did you know? I think about that sometimes, that song and the lyrics of that song. I heard people this week kind of debating that theologically, you know, how that was. I love that song because I think it does express, you know, Mary, what, what did you really know? At least at this point. I mean, Yes, she understood he was going to be the Messiah. But I'm not sure that that young mind could, could work out all the details of it, of the plan of salvation. Could work out all the ways in which Jesus would minister and Jesus would teach. 
I'm not sure she could see the whole fulfillment of, at least at this point, the whole fulfillment of the cross and the resurrection. I'm not sure she could do all that. But she still expected God to work in a miraculous and wonderful way to keep His promise. And this song expresses that. She believed God was going to act and do greater things. In this, in the birth of the Christ child, the Messiah, well, she expected, I do believe she expected that the people of Israel would, would see a victory, would see hope, would see anticipation. For me, the promise that God would fulfill through Jesus Christ, well, that promise would represent a greater victory than the victory at the Red Sea itself for the people, for His people, for us. It would be a greater event than, than the return from Babylon. This one would be a greater king than David or Solomon himself. And I believe Mary expected that. She expected that of this child. When we sing, when we worship, we ought to sing and worship with a sense of expectation what our God's going to do and what He is continuing to do among us. We sing with joy. We sing with humility, joyful obedience, if you will. But we also sing and we worship with a sense of expectation. Every day, I believe that God can do something greater and more powerful than we've ever experienced before. I do believe that. That's not just something I say as a preacher. I do believe it. I, I think there's something greater. I think He can work in us as a church and as a people. I think He could work in us in a greater way every day. I think we could see things that we could never even have imagined before. Why? Because we have a God of greatness and a God of grace and a God of hope who is leading us and working in us. So I expect it. And, and certainly, oh yeah, certainly, I expect him one day to break that eastern sky and come again. Not as the suffering servant, but as the reigning king who will come and call his people to himself and who will, at his time, vanquish consummate his victory over all who would stand against him. I sing with that expectation. I worship with that expectation. And I pray that you do too. Oh, this song's a great little song that Mary sings. Just a personal, spontaneous, I think, song that she lives to God. And I pray that we would allow it to challenge our lives as we worship. And that we would sing, that we'd celebrate, that we'd do it with joy, humility, and expectation. And who we are as we respond to who He is. Let's pray tonight. Father, we thank you again for your word. We thank you for this moment to just open it, to glean from it, to just be blessed by it, by the reading of it, by the challenge that's given. Lord, we pray that you would help us 
to recognize your greatness, to recognize how you are working within your people still. And Lord, we pray that as we recognize those things, we would respond in worship. Lord, that we would respond in singing, that we would respond by just celebrating who you are, your greatness, your majesty. Lord, we praise you now. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand tonight as we have this moment of invitation?